Esther chapter 2, it, it occurred to me some point this morning that we could, we could title a, a Bible study on Esther chapter 2, maybe it's okay if I'm not okay. Now, I don't know if you're in the first service or not, but it, 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 once again, God's Word, just the cohesiveness and the unity of it, and though, though Andrew was, was looking at a passage in Luke, it, it kind of fits what we're going to see in, in Esther. Esther 2, starting in verse 1. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus was abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the young beautiful virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti, this this pleased the king, and he did so. <clears throat> so it starts with the, the, that phrase, after these things, that <clears throat> I don't think it's purposely misleading because this is after these things, but maybe you, you, you get the, the, the impression right off the bat that, okay, the next week or the next month, a few days later, if when as we make it through the chapter, we're going to get down to verse 16 eventually where we read that in the seventh year of King Ahasuerus, these things happened. What was the setting the year of chapter 1? It was the third year, so four years. Probably about this time, three more years have, have transpired. So three years later, three years after the fact, says that the anger of King Xerxes had, had subsided, had abated. Now, what happened in the three years? Did he just sit there on his throne and just stew? Greece. He went to Greece to, to try to expand his, his kingdom, their, their, uh, the, the, the land mass that the Persians um, controlled, and basically was beaten. You know, first at the Battle of Th Thermopylae, that the, the Persians actually won. That's the battle of the 300 Spartans. Uh, but then, then as they continue to try to take Greece, he was beaten at three different battles, a naval battle, two naval battles, I think, and one on land. And so he goes back you would kind of say with his tail between his legs, he's been beaten by this coalition of, of, of city-states. That, that chapter 1 was, was kind of a, a, an, an introduction where he, he began, he threw this great feast and invited all his officials and his army people, sort of a, a campaign for the military campaign, this, this feast to gather support so that they, they might go back to Greece and he might, he might finish off what his father, Darius, had been unable to complete. Uh, 
when he goes there, he's, he's beaten, they come back. One, one little account, just no extra charge for this, is that they had, he, had, he had gotten his men to build this bridge going kind of across uh, part, part of the, the, the Mediterranean, just kind of a, uh, a, across this, uh, the water, and that this big storm came up after they had built that, that bridge, and it just totally destroyed the bridge. And, 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 and King Xerxes, he decreed that the, the, the ocean, the sea, should be given 300 lashes with the whip, and, and then he threw these shackles in there that the sea might be bound. He, that's just kind of the sort of guy he was. He thought he could control even, even the sea. So when they come back, it says he remembered Vashti. You wonder, I don't know if it's good to try to read too much in between the lines, but that he's gone to Greece, he's been defeated, he's come back. And it says he remembered Vashti. And it's kind of implying that he, he, he missed her. And do you wonder if he got there and he's missing Vashti and he's like, hey, where is Vashti? I haven't seen her since I returned. And they're like, well, don't you remember? You sent her away. And he'd be like, like what? what do you mean I sent her away? And they're like, well, you, first you had a 180-day party a lot of drinking, then you had a seven-day party, a lot of drinking, and, you know, did he even remember? I mean, that he sent her away. I don't, I don't know. But, but it was that type of atmosphere, and he sent Vashti away. He's, he's sad. He's missing her, and, and there's nothing he can do about it because of the law of the, the Medes and the Persians. Well, lucky for King Xerxes that he has all of these great advisors around, you know. And here it's not the same ones that advised him in, in, in chapter 1, but some, some young men who attended him, perhaps some of the eunuchs that attended him said, okay, let beautiful young virgins be, be brought in, that the king can pick a new, a new bride, and let them pick, uh, send officers in all of the provinces to, to find the most beautiful young women, young virgins, and be brought into the harem in Susa and, and put under the control of Haggai. How many provinces did they have? 127 provinces from India down to Cush. They're going to send officials through all of these provinces and bring in all of these, these beautiful young virgins that the king might choose a new one. It's starting to get a little uncomfortable in, 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 in reading what's happening. It's like, well, hmm, this, this, it, this doesn't really sound right. How, how are they do? Why are they doing this? What is, what is going on? As, as we get through the story, you kind of see there's, there's really kind of, there's two extremes to view the account. One is a total Cinderella story, and, and the other is just the opposite of that, a, a, a non-Cinderella account of just these terrible things that happen. And, and I think really probably the, the true way, the best way to, is, is probably somewhere kind of in the middle. Part of it is maybe Cinderella-ish, 
but it certainly shows the depravity of, of mankind through, through the event. So they, just, they, they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to send out officials. We're going to gather all these beautiful virgins, bring them in. And the last sentence there in verse 4, shockingly, this pleased the king. I mean, surprise, 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 that, that King Ahasuerus said, that's a good idea. Okay, verse 5. Now, there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from, the, from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. Is there a phrase that is, keeps being repeated there in verse 6? Carried away, carried away, carried away. What's the, the narrator, the, the writer trying to, to tell us by, by repeating that three times in, in one verse? That, 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 that Mordecai is not a native Persian. He's, he's, he tells us first, he's a Jew. He's living there in, in Susa. He's there because the people of God were carried away. They were defeated by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took many Jews of nobility there in, 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 in 605 B.C. back to Babylon. Now the Persians have, have conquered Babylon and, and Mordecai is, is still there though he is one of a descendant of one of those exiles. It seems that he's probably the, the, the fourth generation that has been living there in, in exile. Okay, verse 7. He was bringing up Hadasha, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in the Susa, the citadel, in the custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put into the custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women, women to the best place in the harem. harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So they sent out officials to gather in all of the beautiful virgins from the whole kingdom, the, 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 all the 127 provinces. Yeah. I mean, this may have been like thousands that they gathered, that they go through, 
the, 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 you know, all of this territory from India down into Egypt to gather all of these beautiful virgins. Why? So that the king can have a new queen in place of the one that he was stupid and got rid of, that he, that he, he, he was drunk. He said, bring her in, and she said no. And so his wise men said, just banish her, make a decree. Otherwise, all of us, you know, we have no hope. If the king's wife doesn't have to obey him, then everybody down the food chain, their wives don't have to obey them either. They're just going to point to Vashti, and, and it's just going to be pandemonium. You know, it's just it's going to be the end of life on this planet as we know it because the women aren't going to do what we tell them to do. And so the king, there again, he was pleased with that idea. I don't know if Ahasuerus ever heard an idea that he didn't like. Now, sometimes he lived to regret it. But what is really going on here? They are gathering these young women and taking them and putting them where? In the king's harem. They don't have a choice. Now, this is where it kind of gets in like, well, did she have a choice? Did she not have a choice? Is this good? Was Esther, you know, really good? And Mordecai really good? Or were they, no, no, no. I think it's, it's okay. What did he say? Maybe it's okay if I'm not okay. That, that they may not, this may not be their, their finest hour. Um, J. Vernon McGee, as only J. Vernon McGee says, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll paraphrase, at this point, I don't have much respect for Mordecai. Now, that may be kind of getting ahead of the next paragraph, but, you know, he says, now, and then he goes on, he says, I know I'm going to eat my words in about three more chapters, that then I'm going to respect Mordecai, but initially doesn't look like Mordecai is doing Esther any, any favors. But they didn't have a choice, but... Did Joseph have a choice in Egypt when Potiphar's wife seduced him he did I mean he could he could have stayed there or he could have left his coat cloak and ran away and ended up in prison did Daniel have a choice when when the king he's brought to where was Daniel? Babylon and they said here's all the food and he says no we don't want to eat this food let us do this and what happened God blessed him, and he found favor in the king's sight. Did Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a choice when they said, bow down to this statue, or we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace? I mean, they had two choices, but one of them, it does, you know. A fiery furnace is just not a good choice. Did Daniel have a choice when they made this decree to... Pray to no one but Darius, the Mede king, or you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Esther doesn't have a choice. Now, maybe less, but what about Mordecai? Does he have a choice? So they're gathering all these young virgins. They're putting them in the king's harem. Let's, let's read more. Um, 
and we'll find out a little bit more of what's going on. Because they, she doesn't have a choice. And then once you're there, you're there forever. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period for their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young women went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in custody of, of Shashash to Ashgar, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn, turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the woman, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in, his eye, in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his servants and officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. So they have, in one sense it's kind of a, many contemporaries say this is the bachelor slash Persian, Persia, you know, that, that TV show. And I know none of y'all have ever watched it, but you've probably seen advertisements for it, that, that it's this beauty contest and, and they have all of these, these beautiful virgins brought in. They're, they're, they're put in the harem under the, the charge of Haggai. Don't read into anything about that it takes them 12 months to get ready for the king. You know, it's like, well, these were the beautiful women, and it took them 12 months. How long did it take the normal ones? That's not what it's saying, okay? I just want to make sure you, you, you weren't thinking that. They give them 12 months to prepare for what? One night with the king. After that night with the king, and, and you know what that means. After that night with the king, they go into the second harem, and they're never to be seen again. They're Unless he calls them back, they're there the rest of their lives. They are ripped from their families. Notice it says, yeah, so chances are he's not going to remember your name and so you're not going back to the king. And you're there and you can't leave. Remember back, where was it? Verse, verse, okay, previously, it said she was taken. Esther was taken. And, and it could be that the idea is that she was taken by force. 
So did she have a choice? She didn't have much of a choice, you know, but, but Mordecai said, don't tell them you are a Jew. Why? You know, do they not already know? Is she avoiding the Jewish dietary laws that were in place, you know, while she's there? Certainly, certainly others that she will, she will entertain marrying this unbeliever, this non-Israelite that was, that was uh, prohibited in the, in the Mosaic law, that she will not maintain the purity that, that, that God's people were supposed to, to, to maintain. And Mordecai says, don't tell them you're a Jew. If they find out, that would have been an easy out, it seems. If, if this is because of anti-Semitic uh, practices within the, the, the Persian Empire, that it's like, well, tell them you're a Jew, they're going to kick you out and you'll be back by the, by the end of the day. And he says no. I think that's why J. Vernon McGee says, at first glance, I am not liking Mordecai one little bit. But then he says, as the story goes on, I come to respect him and see that he, that, that he did. Um, God wasn't limited by Mordecai's failures that, and that Mordecai does get, get better. So after the 12 months in the, in the seventh year, so four years after Queen Vashti was, was discarded, Esther is chosen as the, 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 new, the new queen. And, and King Ahasuerus throws this another great feast. You know, there are feasts all through this. that They like to eat and drink and party, and, and he throws another great feast. This one's even better because they're getting the tax stimulus, you know, in the mail. He said he, this this remission of, of taxes, and he gives gifts to everybody. It's, it's, you know, this, this is a, a, a big deal. Okay, verse 19. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, this seems to probably be, there's uncertainty on what is the second time, but probably at that feast, you know, that they gathered in all of those who, who had been taken from their provinces. Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthon and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So Mordecai's there. It's, it's kind of the, the, the gathering place for legal affairs, uh, the, the king's gate, and, and Mordecai seems to be a regular there. Was he in a position of, of one of the judges? We, we don't know. It's... It's, it's possible that he's sitting there, and as he's sitting there, these two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thon and Teresh, became angry. Well, why were they angry? Well, we don't know, but they were eunuchs, and the king had made them eunuchs when they were little boys, so they may 
it's not hard to figure out they have a good reason to be angry at the king. They become angry. They begin to plot against the king. Mordecai hears it, and, and he reports it to Esther. She tells the king they investigate, which is, it probably wasn't a long investigation. You know, there, there was not that much due process, and, and so they were, they were executed and then hanged on the gallows. I think Dr. Constable said the gallows were not the means of the execution. That was what they did after they were killed. Okay, contemporary illustration. Drive down the road, and you see this coyote hanging on somebody's fence. It, the coyote wasn't killed by hanging it on the fence. It was killed and then hung on the fence to whatever, to either boast or to scare off the other coyotes, you know, to, which one is it? That's what they did. They killed these guys, but then they impaled them on this big post stick up in the air so that everybody else could see, ooh, look what happened to them. They plotted against the king, and now they're up there. They skewered them. They did. They skewered them. And, and, and everybody knows it. What was the outcome of that? So they, they take and they write all this. They write this, Mordecai saved the king, in the Chronicles of the King. Seems like a minor detail, but it's going to become real important later. Right now it seems like one of those coincidences, but it's going to become very important later. So what can we glean from this? One, one preacher said that it's the Old Testament is kind of the wild, wild west. All of this crazy, violent things, things happen, but that it, it just kind of reminds us of the total depravity of man. That look what they're doing. Ahasuerus is gathering these young virgins for one purpose only. He spends one night with them and he puts them in his harem. His, his grand, I think it's his grandson, Artaxerxes the, the second had 360 concubines. They're not real wives. They're concubines. They're in the, 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 the harem. He had 150 sons by these concubines and only three by the legitimate queen at the time. You know, Ahasuerus is not looking for one woman to be faithful to for his entire life. He's looking for the queen, the special woman in, 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 the, in the kingdom, but he has all of these other concubines, mistresses, and as a matter of fact, he's killed in his bedroom after an affair with the, the wife of a close, one of his advisors. It was either an advisor or maybe it even it was a relative. And that he was, he was eventually killed in his bedroom because of, of that. that. That we keep coming across this word eunuch. There were, these were eunuchs. Here were the eunuchs. He put them in charge of the eunuch. That I swear made at least 500 eunuchs a year for service of the king. That they, that they used women, they used boys. I heard, I heard one um, 
preachers say, what a messed up kingdom. What a messed up nation. And aren't you glad that you don't live in a culture, you know, where this is going? Aren't you glad that you don't live in a culture where power and status are more important than faithfulness to God? Aren't you glad you don't, you don't live in a culture that's more concerned with accumulating wealth and treat, than treating people well? Aren't you glad you don't live in a culture where women are judged by their bodies and not their character? Uh-uh. I mean, it's, it's obvious of just the tongue-in-cheek sarcasm of we are not any different today. Or even above the border, the border in, 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 in many cases. Just the, just the hedonistic attitudes of, of whatever's good for me is good for, for me. And I'm not worried about any, anybody else. Um, so what can we gain from this? I mean, it's building into this. Ahasuerus was so happy when he picked Esther. He gives another one of those great feasts. He has no idea that he has just put the crown on the head of the deliverer. The one who God is going to use to deliver the Jewish people again. What would the Jews have thought when they're in exile? Has God forgotten us? Has he abandoned us? Did God forget the Jews in exile? Did he just, you know, I mean, should he, you know, well, other than the fact that he had made promises to Abraham, you know, and all through the years that, that he would be faithful to the people, that he would punish them. But think about the prophet Ezekiel. And you can go, well, you can read it this afternoon. But Ezekiel, 100 times at least, recorded these words, Thus saith the Lord. When did Ezekiel live? He was a contemporary in Babylon with Daniel. And God sent him to the exiled people. And so they're in exile wondering, what's going to happen to us? God has forgotten us. We're, we're hundreds of miles from home, and yet God sends Ezekiel, and he tells him over and over and over again, thus saith the Lord, that God was there in Bab Babylon, in Persia, with the exiles. He even sent them this prophet to tell them to try to lead them to repentance, to come, to come back to, to God, to ask for forgiveness. So God is, is present with his people. Is he present with us in our culture, you know, in, in, in the things that are going on in, in our nation? You know, are there times when we look and think that, well, God has washed his hands of America. But God is still here. And, and it's more than just that idea of God being omnipresent, om, omniscient, omnipotent. That, yeah, he's everywhere, but he is active everywhere, even though sometimes we don't see it clearly. 
you know, we want a burning bush, a pillar of, of, a pillar of fire, a cloud. But sometimes it's God putting his people, Mordecai, or even a young woman in the place where they are going to be useful for him and his servant and his deliverer. We have received the ultimate deliverer in Jesus Christ who came and, de and delivers us from, from our, our sin. But, but that God is still present no matter what, what happens. Think about the seemingly coincidental nature of, of all of these things. And, and then think about that one of the first lines in Luke. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus you know, that Caesar Augustus thought he was in control. But that, that decree that everyone go back to their home, the, 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 the city, the place of their ancestors, so that they might be taxed, counted and taxed, that it led to what? To Jesus being born in Bethlehem, just as the prophet had prophesied hundreds of, of years before, that, that, that God is, is faithful Chuck Swindoll says that God's purposes are not hindered when the events of the world are carnal. No matter what happens around us, God's purposes aren't, aren't hindered. God has his purpose and, 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 and will achieve those purposes. And many times through, through people, God's purposes aren't hindered by moral failure. Mordecai kind of fails Esther here. And, I mean, he did he have a choice? Did Daniel have a choice? Did Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael have a choice? Did Joseph have a choice? Sometimes the choices are hard. It's like, well, if he hadn't have done that and allowed her to do that, God wouldn't have been able to deliver his people. Try proving that. I mean, God can deliver his people. A, a final or, or, or one other point that, that Chuck Swindoll makes in, in his, he, his biography on Esther. If, if you haven't um, ever read that, I, I would recommend it. It's really good reading. He sees it more as a Cinderella story. And though I have literally ridden in the car with Chuck Swindoll for thousands of miles, he's been on the radio and me driving or even a, a CD, but that he says, he says that God's people aren't excluded from high places by hardship or handicap, that Esther was a Jewish exile, that, 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 that Mary and Joseph, these, this poor young couple from Nazareth, that Mary was the mother of the Messiah, Joseph raised him. God's people aren't excluded from doing great things because of anything. If it's a handicap, if it's, if it's a hardship, that we have this over and over, this extraordinary God doing extraordinary things by ordinary people. And that, that, that we can 
take heart to that and, and, and we can we can just just ponder that and say, am I allowing him to do what he wants to do? And that 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 we just uh, it's a matter of yielding to God and, and allowing him to work in us. So we'll start at chapter three next week. Any any other observations? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, as you look at the Old Testament, even the New Testament, it's like people have not changed one bit. But the good news is God has not changed either, that he loves us that much. Well, let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your watch care, for your presence. The God we may look around and, and think that you've abandoned us, but we know that, that you haven't, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God because of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.